Grace, it's so true that we don't often want to give up the things that we most need to give up, and we look for loopholes. And uh, someone posted also on Facebook this week that they were giving up wine for February 29th, 30th, and 31st. (laughs) Looking for loopholes. But you know what? God sees beyond all that. And he looks into our lives, and he sees what's missing. And we're going to explore that today in John chapter 14. We're skipping chapter 13 altogether. We're going to come back and pick that up on Monday, Thursday, the last Thursday of of Lent uh, during Holy Week. Uh, But today, listen as I read for us John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am there, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And and this wasn't in the text, but he's going, and have seen him, pointing to himself. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Again, testifying to his oneness with the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works of themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask, if if in If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take these words of the God of the universe and speak them into our hearts about our everyday and eternal lives that are a gift from him. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, You sent your own Son to speak into our lives your good news. Let it come now 
and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. To understand the significance of what takes place in this passage, we need to understand the context in which this happens and takes place. Jesus has just removed himself from public ministry. He's not going to be out and about teaching publicly any longer. He has told the disciples that now is the time for what he has been telling them for the last three years, that he must go away, that at the center of his ministry and his purpose and what he'd come to do would be his departure from us and his giving up his own life. And he tells them that they can't go with him. Of course they can't, because what he's going to do, only he can do. And yet, impetuous Peter, so much like all of us, raises his hand and says, I'll go with you, even if I have to die. I'll go with you. And Jesus tells him, no, Peter, as a matter of fact, you won't go with me. And he says that to you and me. As a matter of fact, you won't go with me. You can't go with me. That's why I'm going. In fact, you will do just the opposite. You will deny me three times tonight. And with this in mind, so with this setting and this context in mind, Jesus speaks perhaps the most powerful yet tender words of care and correction. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Whoa. The most significant words in Scripture. Let not your hearts be troubled. But they are, aren't they? Our hearts are troubled. They're troubled by all kinds of things, little and big and in between. When we think about it and when we don't, our hearts are troubled. And what does Jesus say to do about it? Take two aspirin and call me in the morning? Call your psychologist? No. He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. The transcendent and the imminent. Believe in the cosmic nature that you belong to the God of the universe, but also realize that that promise is what? Right here in front of you, touching you, taking hold of you, loving you, caring for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What he's saying is powerful. What, he, what is he saying that would keep their hearts from trouble? Simply and profoundly this. He is saying that he is God. And as such, because he is, they have nothing to be troubled by. Think about it. What's bothering you right now? All of you have something. Could be big, small, and in between, but we all have something. And Jesus is wanting to know, what is it? Because he's here with us. Whatever that thing is, if he's speaking into whatever's troubling you, 
Do we really have anything to be troubled by? If he's got it, we're okay. We're more than okay. He is the one. Think about it. In this moment, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to be arrested and beaten and mocked and scourged and drug out to a cross over the next few hours. He should be the one who's troubled, right? And is he? What's he doing? He's concerned about their troubled hearts. That they're not going to have him around. That they're going to feel alone. He seeks to comfort them in the midst of the time he should be the most discomforted. Powerful witness. How does this speak into our lives today? All I can say is what Paul realized when he said, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, will he not with him give us everything else? So what am I worried about? What am I bothered by? What do I think is the end of the world? What keeps nagging at me? What keeps me pulling me away from where I need to be in God? If God gave up his own son for me, if he's for me, whatever it is, I can give it to him. Now, I've often reflected on these words that we've just read. In fact, I have preached on this passage, this is very interesting, 450 times. And yet, I'm not sure that I've ever preached on it on a Sunday morning. I have read it at every single funeral I have ever conducted. Roy's included. Alan's included. And I've reflected, therefore, on this passage plenty on a personal level, on a regular basis. Jesus tells us to not let our hearts be troubled. And I want you to know something. That is not a mild suggestion. It's not a word of just... You might want to think about not letting your heart be troubled. It is a command. Jesus says later on that same night, a new command that I give you to love one another. Same with this. Let not your hearts be troubled is a command. From who? Some guy? No, the God of the universe. The one who came in person, who gave up his life for us. Let not your hearts be troubled. And you know why he says that? Because he knows what he's about to do. He knows what he's going to do, and it's going to take care of everything. And what does he speak? What does he do? What he does is to speak into our greatest fear. You know what your greatest fear is? You may not know that. Your greatest fear is homelessness. Yeah. We are all afraid of being alone. I don't mean without a house necessarily, though that's certainly there. We are afraid of being absolutely by ourselves. And whether it is literal or spiritual, in my 65 years of study and history, I don't think we've had, ever had in our world, our nation, a greater crisis of homelessness and a greater crisis of not knowing what to do about it than we do right now. Really, we do. Because that is where God wants to meet us, is in our homelessness. But the problem is, we're trying to do it in all sorts of ways that don't solve the problem. Jesus, as the God of all time and space, has anticipated this. He knows this is our biggest problem. 
He's known it since before the foundations of time. He knew that to reject Him and His ways would place in us a condition of homelessness that only He could solve. And He speaks into eternity when He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Many of you learned it in the King James. In my, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, He says, Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and do what? Take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Two things Jesus does here to speak to our heart's greatest trouble. Two things. One is that he says there is a place for us. I love that song from West Side Story, There's a Place for Us. It's great. Because it speaks of our greatest need. Our biggest fear is that we will be excluded. Not just from a party. Our biggest fear is that forever we will be all by ourselves. Everyone says they want to go to heaven. Even those who don't say so, who don't think there is a heaven, would want to go if they knew if they knew that there was one. Because even the idea of just not being, some people say, oh, I'm just, I'll just die and then I won't be anymore and it'll be okay. Oh, come on. You believe they think, nobody believes that that's hopeful. Even if they think that, they w- would want to be in that place where we're not abandoned. Jesus says that, That place exists. He says, I'm going there. And I'm going to make sure that there's a place for you. And the second part of this is that he speaks to our troubled hearts by saying, I'm going to prepare a place. Don't think I'm just going to disappear. I'm going to do something that is most important for all of you. Now, I I think it's no coincidence for 30 of Jesus' 33 years was spent in the construction industry, right? He was a carpenter. He's a builder. When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's got integrity. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to prepare a place, a dwelling place, a literal place. He knows how to get a place ready. And what is most significant is the nature of this place that he's preparing. I know a lot of us who learned in my father's house or many mansions thought, oh good, I'm going to get the big house on the hill now, right? But you know what? It's not a palace before what? A place where we will be with him face to face every day. That is heaven, my friends. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I want to go to heaven. Do they even really know what they mean by that? Jesus defines what heaven is when he says, you're going to be with me always and forever without any interruption at all. See, heaven is not our favorite fishing hole or motorcycle ride or walk on the beach or even a life without pain and suffering, though I think heaven will be all of these things and more. 
But what heaven is, is restored right relationship with God. That's what's missing from your life, my life, the world, is a right relationship with God. And here's the key to this whole passage, maybe the most important passage of of all Scripture. Jesus has come to show us that he's God in person, the most authenticated person of ancient history. He really did live. And he's the God of the universe. And he says, I'm going to prepare the place you need. And then guess what? I'm going to come back and get you and take you to myself. Like he's already done for many of our loved ones. Our homelessness and restlessness and troubled life and world are based on wanting something, anything, before wanting what Jesus is offering on this night, and we've got to get over that. The one thing we need is to be with Jesus, and the good news of the gospel is that that is not pie in the sky by and by. He's with us right now because he's gone to prepare a place for us. We have a hope for everything we're facing here and now. The loss of a loved one, illness, death, disease, you name it. Jesus was the supreme teacher. What did his disciples call him? Teacher, rabbi. He knew how to get his message into the hearts of people. He knew their minds and spirits. He knew Thomas was there. In fact, I think he chose him for this reason. Thomas, that part of us, who is so very honest. So when Jesus said, and you know the way, you know the way to the place where I am going, Thomas, he knew, would say, uh, Lord, excuse me, uh, we don't. We don't know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? You see, it was to this honest statement, a statement we all need to make at so many turns in our life, that Jesus spoke the one word every person needs to hear and needs to heed and respond to and put on and wear. It is a word that has been unnecessarily debated and dissected in light of who was saying it. You see, because Jesus is God, it is all we ever need to hear and to live by. He said, get this, you ready? I am. Ego me," he said. I am that I am. I am God. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, you say you don't know the way? I am the way. I am God. And as God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the understanding of that, of course, is that we need to be with the Father and with His Son. In this, Jesus says something we all need to know. I am the journey, and I am the journey's end. I am the way home, because I am your home. Abide in me, he says. Only I can get you home to the Father. Because the Father and I are never disconnected. And you know something? You and I need that connection. We need the Father and the Son. We need the Spirit who reaches into our heart 
to speak his truth. That the only life there is, is the life God gives us by drawing us to himself through his own son, through his shed blood, through his life and death and resurrection. That's what we need. We live in a world that doesn't get that. But we get it. Because it has been breathed into us by his Holy Spirit. Philip, Philip, great name, was equally honest and confused. You don't ever get confused, do you, Phil? No, okay. Was equally honest and confused when he said to Jesus, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. Philip's problem was ours. He had been listening to the Rolling Stones. I don't get no satisfaction. Instead of listening to Karen play, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the reality is, so has our world. We can't find satisfaction until our eyes are turned upon Jesus. If Philip had sung that rather than, I don't get no satisfaction, he wouldn't have ever had to sing that rock and roll song. You see, when we are daily turning our eyes upon Jesus in the midst of our hardest times, we will be doing greater things than we could imagine. Because the world will see that Jesus is the one who alone satisfies. We will be satisfied when on our toughest days and nights. And Linda, this has been one of those tough days and nights. We will be satisfied. Surely when you're missing Roy. We will be satisfied because we turned our eyes upon Jesus. And we will be asking not to be satisfied on our terms, but to be ones who point to Jesus, who fills in all of our valleys, who lowers our mountains that stand in our way, on our way home, because we'll know that we're getting home. He's taking us there. My friends, we all need to get home. That's all there is to it. And there's only one who can do that. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. And that is what God wants. And the only way this will happen is when we let our eyes be opened to this way and truth and life. I just got through reading a great book by Pastor Bob Russell, and he tells this story that I want to conclude with that leads us to the table. Anthony Berger died at age 44. Probably none of you in this room know who Anthony Berger is. Even our great pianist Karen probably doesn't know who Anthony Berger is. Do you? No? Okay, good. I thought she might blow it for me. (laughs) No. Many feel that he was the finest gospel pianist that ever lived. We might debate that, but he spent 10 years playing for the Gaither Vocal Band. And in 2006, he was accompanying the Gaithers on one of their cruises in the Caribbean. And there were 1,500 people on that cruise. They vacationed during the day, and they would come to a gospel concert in the ship's hall uh, theater at night. And on the fourth night out, Anthony Berger had just played a piano solo. I think he, he was playing, and I've got a recording of this, We Shall Behold Him. And man, Karen, this this guy could play. 
He could play. And five minutes after he finished that, he collapsed with a massive heart attack and died right there on the spot. Everybody, including especially his family, you can imagine, their hearts were troubled. Becky Pippert was a teacher on that cruise. And she was going to, her job, can you imagine, was to lead Bible study the next morning. Becky said that before she got up to teach, a woman came to her and said, Becky, I want to tell you what happened last night just before Anthony Berger died. She went to to Bob and she said, Bob, you know sometimes how people come up to you and they want to give you a testimony and they want to be on the stage and they want to be the spotlight, but she's not one of those people. She's very humble and unassuming and she said, in the concert last night, After Anthony Berger played his solo, the spotlight went, as it often does, to the other side of the stage. But for some reason, she said, I kept my eyes on Anthony Berger. I felt like God was impressing these words on me. I'm going to show you something from my realm that will be an encouragement to people. She says, I was troubled by that. And suddenly, she said, I saw standing behind Anthony Berger, an angel. She said, he appeared to be seven feet tall, dressed in white and gold, and he just stood there for about 30 seconds. He put his hand on Anthony Berger's shoulder, and Anthony looked up and then slumped down and died. When minutes before he had just played the song, we shall behold him. Huh? Now you may... We may all question this woman's vision of an angel. That's okay. You know, it's not out of the Bible. Um, It's not a test of our faith. Uh, there, There are false claims out there, but you know what I think? And I agree with those who say this. I think sometimes God gives us an additional glimpse of his glory to bring us a supplemental hope and that's exactly what Jesus was doing that night when he said let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me because what had he done just before prior to that he had broken the bread and said this is my body which is broken for you those revelations are rare we don't get them every day you know Ron you've you've said to me sure would be nice if we got to see what some of those people got to see back then, first up close and personal, face to face, right? But we do get them. And we get them at places like this right here. And we need to recognize that. They are there to quicken our expectation and our anticipation, aren't they? That's what this is about. This is not some road exercise. What we're doing right now is not some road exercise. We are in the presence of the living God. He's here right now. Here is the place that Jesus taps us on the shoulder and more to the point taps us on the heart and says, what's troubling you? What's hurting your heart? What's bothering you? I'm here. I've got your grandson. I've got your late spouse. I've got your son. I've got your child. I've got Congress. Bless his heart. Um, Right? And he says, because I've got all this and more. Because I've got everything. 
He says, let me be your way home. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to where they need to be with the Father except through me. And so Jesus invites us today to come and experience that, to receive it. And if you've never realized this, if you've never realized this, maybe you've never been to church before, maybe you've been coming to church all your life and you never realized that Jesus says, I am your way home, may it penetrate your heart today. May it penetrate all of our hearts today. And may this be the day we realize this is our way home because this is our way home because Jesus is our way home. Amen. Now remember, remember, because we belong to the God of the universe who came for us in person, who is Jesus. We go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.